This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hi. Hi, everyone. Hello. I'm Alexandra Schwartz, a staff writer for The New Yorker. I'm joined by my incredibly talented New Yorker colleagues and co-hosts, Vincent Cunningham and Nomi Fry. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Okay, this is the part of the introduction that we'll put music under later. Are you guys ready? Are you ready to be part of a live podcast taping? Behind the curtain. Three, two, one. Welcome to Critics at Large, a new podcast from The New Yorker. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And I'm Nomi Fry. All three of us are staff writers at The New Yorker, and each week on this show, we make sense of what's happening in the culture and how we got here. And if you couldn't tell already, we are taping live from The New Yorker Festival. Okay, so yes, what you're hearing is us live on stage. It's an episode we taped this fall as we said, at the New Yorker Festival. Yep, we were on stage at the SVA Theater in Chelsea. Back when we were just a wee podcast, just a, a babe, a, a, a small babe of a podcast. Yeah, and when we initially sat down, the three of us, to figure out who we'd want to talk to for the festival, someone that we all were very interested in is Samantha Irby, who I think it's safe to say is one of the great professionally funny people working today. Yeah, Sam Irby is, I think... One of the best writers right now of a very specific form, the comedic essay. She has this very sort of open, generous, no barriers approach to her comedy. She'll just make a joke of anything, including often herself, whether it's her relationships or her career. Um, she also has Crohn's disease, and she talks in, in like pretty uh, maybe scatological detail. <laughs> Extensive. <laughs> Extensive detail. About um, how that affects her in her life. She's very open about it. Um, One of my favorite essays of hers is from her most recent collection called Quietly Hostile, and it came out earlier this year. It is called, uh, I really relate to this, I like to get high at night and think about whales. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Here's here's just a couple of lines from um, this really scintillating essay. I like to take a couple gummies and while they kick in, lie on my back in the dark with a fan blowing on my face, window open even in the winter and remain very still with some gentle water sounds going in my headphones and imagine myself lying on a raft in the middle of the pitch black ocean, feeling the waves created by a whale swimming 6,000 feet below me. It sends a shiver up my spine and chills through my whole body because, yo, what would you freaking do if a whale was just cruising next to your soft human body? (laughs) That's a good question. Very, it's a great question. I want to know, too. Yeah, and she's also done a lot of writing for television. Um, she wrote for the show Tuca and Birdie, uh, this animated series that I really loved. And she also, uh, you know, famously wrote for the show and Just Like That, the Sex and the City reboot that premiered on Max in 2021. 
Yeah. So one of the things that we wanted to ask Sam about more broadly is the art of comedy. We called the event How to Be Funny because we were especially interested in this question of whether humor is innate or whether it's something that can be learned. And if it can be learned, then we really wanted Sam to give us some tips. Oh, yeah. We definitely had questions. So today on Critics at Large, Samantha Irby and How to Be Funny. Sam. Hi, critics. Hi, Hi Sam. Sam. <laughs> Sam, are you ready to solve our questions? Yes. Oh, good. No, oh. I don't know anything, but we'll have fun while we try. <laughs> I mean, Sam, you are, like, to us, you're just, you're a certified funny person. Is, mm. that, is that a way that you identify? Do you, do you walk through the streets being like, I'm funny? What can I say that makes me sound like the least asshole? Um, <laughs> I do. I'm incredibly funny. Um, <laughs> but I also hate myself very much. Okay. So it's like that's my coping mechanism is like making fun of things. And how is it working out as a coping mechanism? <laughs> Great. Honestly, I've sold a lot of books. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even saying that to be a jerk. I just think, like, we all are miserable. And yeah. so laughing at things makes us feel better. You guys, I have to tell you, I have, like, menopause sweats. And it makes my glasses steam. So oh my God. we're in. You're in for a treat. Mm. <laughs> we can't wait. Comedy is hard work. It, it, it ought to involve sweat, you know. It really is. There's really athletics is. up here. Yes, yes. An athlete of laughs. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, comedy is this, right, so you're talking about as a coping mechanism. I mean, was there, like, a light bulb moment for you when it went off, like, okay, I'm funny, and this is how I'm going to deal. This is going to help me get through. Um, I don't want to depress anyone right out of the gate, but... <laughs> I, like, I grew up, like, fat and poor, and you either, like, jump off a building or you make jokes to keep people the fuck off you, you know? <laughs> and so I was never like, you know, I'm, I'm so hilarious. It was like, if I make the joke first, if you say it, it doesn't hurt me. Yeah. Um, for instance, I told you I have menopause sweats. So that when you take a picture of me and my glasses are fully steamed, I can be like, <laughs> I told you. And then, like, we're all laughing. Is, is this, you know, I, I can't help but notice that you're wearing a really fantastic T-shirt that says Crohn's disease on it. Is, uh, is this tell, connected? Tell us about the that is another way to be funny, which is to poop your pants all the time. Um, <laughs> that's, that's classic, though. That's like, that's in the book, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That, I saw that on the Three Stooges, and then decided to get a disease to uh, go with it. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like you know, it's almost like the spoonful of sugar, right? Like, I have a horrible butt disease. That's terrible. <laughs> but if I laugh about it, see, no me knows. If I laugh about it, it's less terrible. No. Kind yeah. of. Sometimes. But sometimes it's not Everybody all... Everybody in here is like, don't shit on the stage. But it's not always that, like, excuse the pun, it's not always that explosive, these moments that you, <laughs> um, 
sometimes, for example, you you also are really good at choosing mundane moments, like just yeah. things from your life that you have, there's a chapter, your my favorite chapter of your essay in your book, your most recent book. Mm-hmm. It's the, one of the shortest ones. And I think the title of it is, um, I, I like to get high at night and watch TV and think about whales. Oh, yeah. Which that makes at least two of us. Yeah. And I would just like, how do you develop a mechanism for selecting what about your life that you think travels, goes to somebody else? Well, okay. So this, I always write to please myself first. It's like if I hit, thank you, whoever, (laughs) I love you, whoever clapped. Um, Because like, if I don't like it, how do I get, how do I give it to you? How do I say like, read this, you know? So I'm always like, what makes me laugh? What's funny? What am I doing that's like stupid and hilarious that other people like might laugh at? So when it's like book time, it's time to come up with a bunch of things to put in a book. I'm like, hmm, well, I watch a lot of QVC. That's funny. That is funny. Uh, I sit in a lot of parking lots and like have horrible fantasy scenarios that I like go through in my mind. That's funny. I'm going to write about that. And then every night I do like get high and think about whales. And that is very funny. (laughs) From experience. Hilarious. To me. And then, I mean, it helps though that I don't, at least in my current medium, I don't have to know if you think it's funny, right? Like, it's really hard to get in contact with me if you hate my book. (laughs) (laughs) Took down that Twitter. (laughs) Twitter's gone. Mm -hmm. Instagram, like, you can set it so people can't message you. Cha-ching. Because nobody comes to a book signing and is like, you unfunny piece of shit. They're like, huh, nice to meet you. So, like, I'm never... But I they never do sometimes hear... say, I've got more of a comment than a question. They say that, though. <laughs> then I'm yeah. like, skip. <laughs> I have a comment. You won't like it. <laughs> um, so, like, when I, I don't have the pressure of knowing what people think, that's the hard thing about TV is because right. those criticisms will find you. But with books, I, I just do what I want. If my agent likes it. If my editor likes it, then I'm like, great. America will love it or not. <laughs> I'll never know. <laughs> America loves it. I think. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, America. <laughs> You've America, done one America, good thing, America. America the beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that, is, that, is, that is funny and interesting because, you know, like in your books, you're writing about super personal stuff. I mean, Vincent, cool. It's a great chapter, the whale chapter. My favorite chapter is the nun porn chapter. Uh, I mean... You know, it's, uh, it's, and, and you. I'll send it to you if you want to, if our relationship can go there. (laughs) If your relationship matures over the course of the next 45 minutes. (laughs) But you know, like you really, you know, Sam, you really take us there. You're like, I'm not letting you guys off the hook. I am going through this video with you. I'm going to show you everything there is to be seen. For those of you who don't know, I wrote, well, I love porn. Um, and I wrote, yeah, I heard some snaps. That's right. That's my sister. Uh, Relatable. I wrote, there's this, this one porn that I uh, stumbled across. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I searched to find it, but it's, it's called like two old nuns having amazing lesbian sex. Mm -hmm. It is 39 minutes long. Wow. It starts with, like, a sweeping <laughs> view of some, like, Italian couple. 
countryside. <laughs> there's like drama. There's like a young nun arguing with an older nun. And then there's this like dying nun. This is bleak. I'm so oh, sorry. No. There's, oh, well, no. She's like sick. <laughs> right, right. And, like, As they and are only one porn. thing can cure her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the nurse nun she goes in medicine. and they have a very tender <laughs> sexual experience. So I watch like all 39 minutes regularly. And then. My so after my last book, my agent was like, "Well, there's not enough sex. Can we get some sex?" And I was like, "I am a 41 year old woman married to another woman. No, <laughs> <laughs> I've I, it's been written. <laughs> what else is there to say?" Um, and so I was thinking, like, what sexy stuff? What's I gotta put a sex thing? And then I was like. The nun porn, I will transcribe it for everyone who hasn't seen it. So if you buy my book, you can you can read my description oh, yeah. of these two. So it's like sometimes it's like I'm desperate to fill a like in the books we have, like there's gotta be some body stuff and there's gotta be some poop and pee stuff, because that's my specialty. And there's gotta be some like of Hollywood stuff, like what is it like to do this? And then there needed to be some sexy stuff. And so I was really was like, uh, Kristen, you want to do some weird stuff? No? Okay, I'll write about this porn. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then are, there, are there things that you feel like you can't kind of transmute into comedy or is everything on the table? Yes. Most things are on the table. All, most of my personal stuff, mm-hmm. I, I'll tell anybody anything. I feel like it makes, for me, it makes moving through the world easier to just put it all out there mm. first, right? Like, mm-hmm. just to say, this is what you're getting. This is who you're getting. Like, this is really me. You can decide that you hate it, and then we never have to talk or interact. But if you like it, like, great. You know what you're getting. Um, my wife has two kids and her own life. Mm -hmm. And I am not as, I don't write about the kids, like their stuff at Mm -hmm. all. Cause like their kids, they're not my kids. And then I try to not embarrass my wife too much, but everything else, my family, my sisters, Like my friends and stuff. You know, I have some dumbass friends. We all do. Like, I write about their stuff. And usually I'm like, hey, this, you remember that hilarious dumb thing you did? I got to write about it. And they're usually like, okay. I feel like at this point also it's kind of an honor to be included. I hope. To be nominated. That's that's (laughs) nice. I hope they feel that way. No one, no one's cut off their friendship with me yet. But you do, that's one of the things about like being funny is people are not funny all the time and people don't want you to be funny all the time. And sometimes if I'm doing a bit and the other person is serious, my wife is over there. (laughs) It's not always great because she'll be like, no, I'm actually talking to you about the taxes. And I'm like, boop, boop, bop, You know? I'm like, taxes? And she's like, no, for real, sit the fuck down and do your taxes. So 
So that kind of stuff, like in real life, happens more than yeah. people like reacting to something. Happening. Right, right, right. Like You're people scatting. being like, "Turn yeah. it off." Yeah. This is a funeral, and yeah. I'm like, "Well, he doesn't care. He's dead." You know, like Fish posh. doing bits. Right. He loved this bit when he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> In a minute, Sam Irby talks about writing for the Sex and the City reboot, which I think it's safe to say did not go as she expected. Our live taping of Critics at Large at the New Yorker Festival will be back in just a minute. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitch. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. We support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great Chill being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter OK. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our negative thoughts can stick with us, so we all have something to get off our chest. Therapy is a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down, so you can get some relief and find a solution. BetterHelp offers professional, affordable online therapy on a flexible schedule. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com critics today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash critics. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. So in addition to writing essays, Sam Irby writes for television, too. And one of the shows she's worked on is the Sex and the City reboot, and just like that. That premiered in 2021 on Max. You look great, gray, but I miss the red. And I just thought it might be fun, you know, for the start of school. Yeah, for all your play dates and things. Charlotte, I'm getting a master's in human rights to pair with my law degree, so hopefully I can become an advocate for women who need one. I don't have to be a spicy redhead to do that. I mean, we can't just stay who we were, right? Absolutely. And there are more important issues in the world than trying to look young. Ruth Bader Ginsburg dyed her hair. Mic drop. It's a show I, along with many other people, watched. And I also watched The Backlash 
to the show, which was intense, right? Yeah, it sort of felt like there was nothing but backlash. Like people, <laughs> yeah. people yeah. were really content, upset right. that Big got killed off in the first episode. They said this show had been destroyed by wokeness. Um, they hated some of the new characters. They hated the sex. Right. A lot let's of hating. Not, let's not, yeah, a lot of hating. Che Diaz che comes Diaz, to mind. Yeah. yeah. Carrie's boss as she becomes a podcaster and also uh, Miranda's lover. And stand-up comic. I think that's, oh, yes. I think that's kind of a prime reason. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, for the for the haterade. Uh yeah, it just went on and on. And and talking to Sam, it sounded like the backlash was a bit of a wake-up call. So Sam, you've been doing a lot of writing for TV. Yeah. And you were just mentioning, you know, that you're, you know, when people have something to say about your books, you have a pretty good filter. When they have something to say about TV, there is no filter possible. I mean, yeah. tell us about it just like that. Oh man. Well, first of all, people <laughs> how what how do I say this diplomatically? First of all, people are lying saying they hate the show because we see the fucking numbers. Y'all are watching. So it does uh, I, I hate watches a watch. If you hate the show so much, stop watching it and they won't give us more seasons. Uh, that's just a little tip. A hate watch is a watch according to A hate watch is a watch is so good. Yeah. yeah. Like, if you don't like it, turn it the fuck off. Otherwise, HBO's like cha ching, here's here's more money, dummies. Go 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 make Charlotte puke again or whatever. Um I so before and just like that, I had only worked on very niche, small shows, like the kind of shows that like you're a dickhead if you say you don't like them, right? Like mm-hmm. Tuca and Birdie, like <laughs> feminist birds, and uh, I hated it. <laughs> yeah, if you hate feminist birds, you're bad. You're bad. It's like you know if you don't like that kind of thing, like you're an asshole. But I had never, I'd never before worked on anything this big where this many people care about it and take it personally and are insane. (laughs) Um, I got some death threats. Funny ones. (laughs) Funny ones. But I was like, really? Like, it's also tough because, like, I'm not in charge, right? Like, I didn't decide that. So it's, it's been a learning experience working on this show. I'm never going to work on a big show ever again. When this is over, I'm going to go back to writing bullshit that nobody <laughs> wants. Because it's too much. Just because it's so stressful to have this uh, Well, there are so many the expectations yeah. and so many opinions. I mean, like criticism on a thing that is not fully mine. The book is all me. You hate the book that you hate me. That's me. The show, like I turn in a script and it's like in six months, I'll see what they did with it. But that, but people don't know that. So then they're like that choice that you specifically made. And I'm like, uh, uh, uh. so I'm just like, uh, okay. Yep, we'll get Miranda back with a man. Sure, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Trader Joe's lady. Okay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically you're stepping into, like, the Sex and the City characters have have, have lived for, like, 25 years at this point. I mean, they yeah. really are a part of the ecosystem. Like, what was your relationship like with them before you started Oh, man, I watched the, the show from the beginning. Uh, we didn't have HBO, so my friend Jenny and I 
would wait till they came out on VHS. Do you children know what that is? And I would go to Circuit City. Do you know what that is? (laughs) It's all gone now. Gone. And buy the seasons and watch them. But I didn't have like a parasocial relationship with them. I just like thought the show was funny. I did not see myself as a Carrie, as it were. Like there were no fat black bitches on that show. So I could just be like, these girls are nuts. And then like go back to my regular life in the Midwest. But I loved the show. I couldn't believe that Michael asked me to work on the show. Michael Patrick King, our boss, I was like, I, I was like, how do you how do you even know who I am? I can't believe you think I can do this. But like, of course, I said yes. And then the first season came out and I was like, <laughs> everybody hates me specifically for ruining. <laughs> well, that that's one thing too, is like everything everybody hated about the show, they attributed to like the two black people <laughs> that got added to the room. And I was just like... <laughs> First of all, I'm not even like militant. It's not <laughs> It's not me. That was like very weird to have everyone be like, you know, the show's woke now and it's because of you. And I'm like, I'm have you talked to me before? <laughs> I, like, social justice is not my thing. It's not me. We're just trying to like keep up with the times. Mm-hmm. So it's I think my biggest problem is maybe that no one understands, including myself, how TV gets made. So the blame is not placed where it should go, which is not on me. Please. (laughs) You're not the clown. If if we have no other takeaway, do not, don't blame Sam. (laughs) But what if we like the show? Can we praise you? Yes. Okay. Everything you like, I did. I wrote, I shot it, I directed (laughs) it, I produced it. Every good thing you like about the show all came from me. Yeah, what are are some things that you did get on that you're proud of? You know, what Uh, can we credit you for? The kitchen fingering. Okay. Kitchen fingering. I tried to get Carrie to have diarrhea, but we they wouldn't let me do that. But I did get her to pee in the bed, and I don't know that they would have suggested that. So th- I make all those suggestions. I'm like, should they puke here? And they're like, no. And I'm like, oh. They're like into opera. <laughs> so, so here's a big one. How do you think, you know, what do you make of the comedy landscape these days? I mean, you're talking about how the internet has, I mean, the internet has changed everything. Don't know Mm -hmm. if people in this room have noticed that, but (laughs) yeah, it kind of has. Like the fact that someone can have a thought, immediately send it to you, and then it's a thought that has to live in your head. Um, For the rest of my life. For the rest of (laughs) your life. Um, you know, what's, what are you, what do you make of the comedy landscape these days? I mean, has it been changed by the fact that we're doing everything online? Is there particular stuff that's hitting for you right now that seems of the moment? I will say that I do love that the internet has provided, man, give me a meme, give me a fucking front facing video. (laughs) I love that people just like at the, at their fingertips, they have a little thing and they can make a joke and they can make you laugh and you watch it for 30 seconds. I think it's such a gift that people can give that to each other. Just a little break, a little respite. Like there's so much news and like 
life sucks. Like being alive is so <laughs> hard that I do appreciate that we now have these mediums where someone can just be like, I thought of a funny thing. I made a 15 second video. I've put it out there and now you can see it and laugh and like for a second have like a little bright spot in your day. Does it make you feel like people are funnier than you thought? Yes. Because for me, it, it totally, it's because you're exposed to so much, just even on Twitter, people being funny on Twitter, yes. so smart and funny. And you're like, I mean, there's also like Nazis and, and all that, but like, <laughs> but just, you know, like you see people posting things and you're like, you're a genius. Like, yes. how is this? Yeah, and, Constantly. Yeah. I follow a lot of uh, meme pages. I know I'm too old to say those words, but I do. Um, and every time, like, I'm cracking up all the time, and I'm just like, genius. Yeah. Genius. <laughs> this person should be president. Just, you know what I mean? Just like, it's like so fun. It does, like, give me hope. And young people are, like, so funny. Right. And, like, they don't have say. access to shit. Like, everybody yeah. shuts them out. And I love that they can just be like, I'm on TikTok. I'm hilarious. It's like a gift to the world that we can just, like, be like, that little dude. He's going places. And that, you know, you're never going to see him again, but it's like, it's just, it's nice. <laughs> Sometimes you do. <laughs> Sometimes. Because yeah. I think it's like, it's so tempting to fall into the pit of despair. Like nothing's getting better. Nothing is getting better. Nothing ever will get better. Hopefully the sun will crash into the earth mm -hmm. and we can die. Mm -hmm. But... Until then, <laughs> I pray that's, so what, I, that's what I light real a candle talk, for every talk. night. Uh, the Whales and the <laughs> yeah. impending doom. I'm like, you know what should happen? A whale should eat me, and then the sun should hit the earth. <laughs> like that, That's what I'm doing at 2 a.m. when you see me like posting a I can see that in like a Lisa Frank arrangement, <laughs> yes. like all together. Uh, yes. <laughs> me riding an orca as the sun yeah. barrels. Yeah. Yeah. It's all got like a pink <laughs> tinge to it. Mm -hmm. The Lisa Frank book of Revelation. <laughs> Stick around, because in a minute, we talk about comedy, truth, and Hassan Minhaj. Our live taping of Critics at Large at the New Yorker Festival will be right back. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker. Each week on the Writer's Voice podcast, New Yorker fiction writers read their newly published stories from the magazine. You can hear from authors like Colson Whitehead. Turner nudged Elwood, who had a look of horror on his face. They saw it. Griff wasn't going down. He was going to go for it, no matter what happened after. Or Joy Williams. Her father was silent. Slowly, he passed his hand over his hair. This usually meant that he was traveling to a place immune to her presence, a place that indeed contradicted her presence. She might as well go to lunch. Listen to new stories or dive into our archive of great fiction. You can find the work of your favorite fiction writers and discover new ones. Listen and follow The Writer's Voice wherever you get your podcasts. So we're about to hear some questions that the audience had for Sam. But before that, I think we should just 
set a little context. We taped this just a few weeks after an article was published in The New Yorker by Claire Malone, our colleague, about the comedian Hassan Minhaj, basically showing how Minhaj had uh, taken certain factual liberties with some of the stories in his stand-up, specifically ones having to do with anti-Muslim sentiment that he'd experienced in the wake of 9-11. So um, tells a story about receiving a letter with white powder he thought was anthrax, which spilled onto his young daughter who had to be rushed to the hospital. Uh, and it turned out that the bit about his daughter had never happened, you know, things like that. Right. And actually, since we taped this, Minhaj released a video responding to the article, quibbling about certain details, and essentially conceding, though, that he, in his words, uses, quote, the tools of stand-up comedy, hyperbole, changing names and locations, and compressing timelines to tell entertaining stories, end quote. So the article and Minhaj's response raised all kinds of questions about the standards of truth we should hold entertainers to. And when we asked the audience to submit questions for Sam, this is something that came up almost immediately. All right. So we have a couple of questions um, that are on the topic of truth in comedy, which has come up a lot lately. Do you ever find yourself Ooh, exaggerating? Yeah, y'all just wrecked boy's career, right? <laughs> Hassan? Oh, yeah. T- tell me you're not about to do that to me. The three of us are innocent. <laughs> we, we found out about it just like the rest of the general yeah. public. No, he wrecked his own shit. That's too bad. I really like him, but... So, um... Do you ever find yourself exaggerating or admitting All the admitting time. details um, in books to make them funnier? And how do you balance staying true to yourself and taking creative liberties? The essence of the thing is true. If I described, if I just described that, the, let's take the whale essay. If I was like, every night my wife goes to bed at 9.30. I don't like to go to bed until 2 (laughs) a.m. So I smoke a lot of weed and then I sit down in front of the TV, I put Survivor on mute and I think about whales. It's like, that's true, but it's boring and unfunny. So I gotta put some bells and whistles on it. I gotta, I gotta say what I was eating or where I was sitting or, you know, and like maybe it's it's true that I was sitting on the couch or maybe I I was sitting in the bed. I think because I don't write about like historical or cultural events, because I'm writing about just like the boring mundanities of my day and life, um, I like sometimes you have to dress it up, but it's never like the essence of the thing is always true. It's just like you got to put some words around it to make people laugh. So, I don't know. I feel like, do you go to comics to hear the truth? Well, I, I, I think in the case of, of Hassan Minaj. Right. Like, it if was, I was it talking wasn't about. Even funny. It do was you guys like want to explain briefly what happened for people who may not, um, may not know? He again, lied. Yeah, again, <laughs> no, nobody here was involved in the making of this article. Um, I support the article, by the way. Yeah, but yeah, if you right. liked it, praise us as usual. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Didn't like yeah. It. We wrote someone it. else. But, yeah. No, it was great. A lot of the, the stories, not the funny parts of the story, but part, things that are kind of traumatic about um, sort of specifically racially or culturally based like traumas that the sort of the setups to those jokes were um, were exa- exaggerated or untrue or sort of transmuted or. Uh, For example, he said he was sent. Um, something that could have been anthrax in the mail and his, you know, and his baby had to go to the hospital and that was not true. That's an example. Yeah. 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 Hilarious comedy. Bananas stuff. thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can't, I don't know, it's 2023, you can't be like, 
inventing like hate crimes, right? Yeah. But if you're telling a story about an ex that did whatever, I don't need to, I just want to laugh. I don't need to like call her and be like, <laughs> no, did that really happen like that? It's like, who cares? So like, I think the things that are true can be funny, but you can make things funnier by adding in other shit. Um, how do you get past the fear of failure of creating bad comedy? That's um, such a good question. Whoever asked it. Yes. <laughs> Was it you? I saw you wave. Was it you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I truly can't think about it. Like, if you think about failing, that's all you'll think about. So I just... Uh, I very much am like, I just got to get to the end of this thing, send it in, and then figure it out from there. If I think about who's going to read it or, like, who would review it or what people would say, it's bad news. I will just lock up and not write. So I pretend that it's just me and the computer screen, and what happens after that is none of my business. You know, there are lots of people, when you when you get to the book stage, there are lots of people who go over it. And I got a note in the margin on this book that was like, I don't think this joke is hitting the way you think it is. Ooh. Ooh. They said it like that? She said it like that. And I was like, okay, bitch. And then I fixed it. <laughs> I fixed it. But so there are many people who will catch anything super terrible or unfunny it was the copy editor who was like, I don't think this is hitting. Mm. I know. I was like, let Sassy. the plumber fix the sink, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you catch the commas and shit, and I'll, I'll fucking do this. <laughs> but thanks a lot, Judd Apatow, but I got I got. Yeah, right? I was like, oh, who they got back there? The comedy uh, doctor there. Joan yeah. Rivers fucking reading the shit. Um, so... <laughs> Do you think that humor has some universal subject matter and also some elements that are specifically of a time or place or culture? If so, what might be some of the universals? For example, explosive poop, self-deprecation, and what might be some of the cultural components of humor? Well, <laughs> first of all, asking these smart questions. Yeah. I am a fucking These people idiot. have had too much um, time to text. Like, my books have, like, <laughs> cats on the cover. Y'all, go talk to Jelani. Um, <laughs> let me, where's my monocle? Uh, okay. Okay, first, I'm going to say culturally, Vincent, you can back me up. I hope you do. But, like, black people, all we do is just, like, laugh and crack jokes and shit, make fun of everything. Just all our little, sh like when you see someone and you're like, <laughs> okay, pants. Mm -hmm. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my sister over there, okay, glasses. You know, we're always that just can go like, either way. Yeah, yeah, true. It's like compliments and jokes. <laughs> like just everybody sort of, I shouldn't say, not every black person is funny. I'm sure there are some unfunny black people. But, like, culturally, I do live with three white people now, and they don't joke like I joke. <laughs> I, can, I, can tell you, I can tell you that. If I said, hey, glasses, they'd be like, what's wrong with my glasses? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> be like, uh, what are you saying? And I'd be like, oh, nothing. Never mind. <laughs> Let me let me call the NAACP and make that joke. Okay. Um, 
I don't think there's anything that's universally funny. Not anymore. Like, everybody is too aware of their own shit and their own triggers and their own, like, poop. <laughs> Not everybody is into, like, bodily humor. But that's, you know what, that's kind of a gift, though, because, again, I think in marketing yourself, if you're honestly like, well, this is what I do, and if you don't like that, then you're like, oh, no thank you to, no thank you to to you. Um, and so I do like that that you can be, like, hyper-specific in what you talk about, and there are people who are like, yes, that's my jam. Talk to me about your menopause. And the people who can, who aren't into it can be like, no thanks, I'm going to go over here. I think like trying to appeal to too many people, you will never win. So if you find your lane, you stay in it. Right? Well, so this leads right into our next question. And we're, we're almost out of time. We got two more, but I'm just going to smash them together because okay. I actually think they kind of connect. So, how has your sense of humor in writing changed as you've gotten older? And then we have a huge question to end with, which is, what do you think is the future of comedy? <laughs> and I also, I also want to know what that means for you, though. Like, okay. you know, like how how's thing, have things changed as you've gotten older and where do you see yourself going? Okay. I think as I've gotten older, I am no less anxious, which is what really the fuel of my comedy. Like, I'm insanely anxious. I just, I got diagnosed with OCD this year, which has been a, yeah, <laughs> it's the worst. I, we should talk about that. Ugh. But, like, do it, being in therapy and working on that stuff, I think you can tell in the work that I'm doing work inside. So I think it's, I think that has changed and my focus is always on me. So that's like, if I'm always the butt of the joke, it basically is like, well, what's funny that's wrong with me now? Um, not being able to, uh, or like sweating my clothes sheer everywhere I go. It's like, that's what the next thing will be about. So I think as I rapidly decompose in front of you mm -hmm. like the work is just going to continue to follow the path of my decomposition mm. okay as for the future of comedy what i hope happens i really do love that like you know the model of like you make a comedy album and then you go on a tour. I love that it doesn't have to be that anymore. I really, I hope it's not, it doesn't sound like a cop-out, but I really love that people have their little communities and they make those communities laugh and they make things to serve their very specific audience. Because what people enjoy is so varied, right? So wide and varied and... You know, if there are, like, three comics you could look at, if none of them resonate with you, then it's like, ugh, I guess I don't like comedy. But now it's like you can find your person who does this very specific prank thing you like. Did you hear about the prank kid who got shot? Uh, it was incredible. Um, he tried to prank. He no, tried to prank some guy, and the guy shot him. He lived. <laughs> but like, there are people who enjoy watching a thing like that. I 
don't like watching people being pranked, but I love that he has an audience of people who can see him get shot for doing a dumbass prank on a person he doesn't know. Um, so yeah, the fu- <laughs> that is the future. Yeah, the yeah. future. You might get shot. The future is bleak. The future is you finding very specific things that delight you, and like having them readily available. Right. I hope I hope that's where we continue. Me too, and I hope that no one gets shot in the process. <laughs> I will just say. But if you prank a dude and he tells you to stop, you should stop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is all we have time for. Thank you, oh, Sam. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Hey, Gun. <laughs> this was a treat. Thank you guys for coming. This has been Critics at Large. Huge thanks to Samantha Irby for joining us at the New Yorker Festival. I think it's obvious that we all had a blast. We sure did. Um, our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby, and Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music, and we had engineering help today from Gabe Caroga with mixing by Mike Kutchman. If you enjoyed the episode, go ahead and leave us a review. It really does help other people find us, and we want to know what you think. We will be back next Thursday, as usual, with a new episode of Critics at Large. And in the meantime, have a great holiday. We hope you get to spend it with people you love. We'll see you next time. We've all been there before. You're planning a dinner party or having family over or even just cooking for yourself when all of a sudden it starts to feel overwhelming. Uh, I live in a very small one bedroom apartment with a very small kitchen. I can't figure out what to serve besides water soup at this point. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. And this is Dinner SOS, a new podcast from Bon Appetit. Maybe it's a last-minute party with no menu inspiration, a kitchen with no space, a toddler who will only eat buttered pasta. Name your dinner emergency. We're here to help. Here's how the show works. On each episode, we'll take a call from a home cook facing a real dinner emergency. Then I'll work with one of our editors or someone from our amazing test kitchen to try and solve it. Because cooking for the people you love should inspire joy without a side of stress. Make sure you're following Dinner SOS wherever you're listening now 